We head now to Lebanon, perched on the eastern Mediterranean, bordered by Israel to the south and Syria to the north and east. It was once called the Paris of the Middle East, but those days are very much gone, as is documented in a new series from the international crisis group called Lebanon, a country on the brink. Lebanon is falling apart. The new crisis started right away. Sorry, this is one of part of it, actually. 80% of Lebanese now live in poverty. Hundreds of thousands have lost their jobs, while their savings are trapped in illiquid banks. Political parties continue to profit from these losses, using the growing desperation of those they represent as a tool to keep themselves in power. The current state of Lebanon. Joining me now with more is uh, in from Beirut is Heiko Vimin, the International Crisis Group's Project Director for Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon, and a participant in that documentary, Lebanon, a Country on the Brink. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hello. Now you Hello, were, Ben. You've been working in this area for a very long time, I know, both as a journalist and now in your current position. How much have things changed in the past few years? Oh, I mean, dramatically. Um, I mean, you know, of course, or some of your your listeners may know that uh, to some extent, uh, Beirut was supposed to be the the party capital of the of the region, right? You know, um, there are some areas where um, where where really um, there was a lot of nightlife going on. It, w- it was a place basically where everybody, also from the west, who wants to encounter this region. Would come and get like uh, a, a nice, a nice soft uh, sort of user-friendly version for it. You can yeah, you can I drink remember, and dance and have fun, and that has changed very much. I remember what it was called, you know, the Paris of the Middle East. Um, well, that's yeah, that's that's from the seventies, yeah, right? But I mean, there was a time like two, three years ago when there there was some entertainment. Uh, or like hospitality areas that were really popular where you could see like everybody was like uh, really like having fun and light life and everything. And that has, of course, changed dramatically uh, simply because so many people uh, lost all their savings, uh, lost uh, a big part uh, or all their incomes because they lost their job. And so many people left also because they no longer have a, have any hope in this country. I mean, if you see the numbers of nurses, doctors, you know, everybody basically who has a qualification that uh, opens doors uh, elsewhere, that can be the Gulf, that can be the US, Europe, Canada, you know, uh, all these people are leaving, really. I know we talk about uh, about inflation here at 5%. Uh, inflation in, in, in Lebanon is something altogether different. Um, what has been the effect on the day-to-day lives of, of people people there so uh, uh, let's talk about the lights in a moment because that is a whole story by itself no but uh, but so so basically if you still have money to burn through uh, savings to burn through i mean if you have uh, relatives abroad who are who uh, who sent you money uh, then you if you have a dollar income then you're okay you can uh, you can live pretty well if you don't, um, and those who don't, then you have to, for instance, think about, okay, is the gas bottle that I'm cooking on, uh, is that going to run out today? You know, Because if it runs out today, 
then uh, this person uh, may not be able to to have it refilled you know like a gas tank gas bottle i mean these you know this cylinder is a gas tank right. that you need that you need to just buy i mean cook food you know right. i mean that that one now costs um, costs half a minimum wage minimum wage is 700,000 750,000 lira that's a local currency uh, just to have a gas bottle that and you need you need two of them per month at least actually if you have a family you know just to have that refilled you know that's you know that's that's half of your of a minimum of a minimum salary of a minimum in, income you know so then that person will think and I, and I read a story about like in the paper uh, uh, like uh, like just yesterday, you know. So that person was saying, "Well, yeah, that gas bottle that I have in my kitchen—it's probably going to last me a few more days." Uh, but my mom lives downstairs, and she has one. And and actually, I bought that one for her a few days ago. And if I run out, then we cook we cook down at her place, you know. Right. Or right. people or people get this new gas bottle. You get a gas bottle, and you basically get it filled, and you pay in installments, you know. And that's right. just to have and that's that's to just be able to, to have a hot meal. Just, just to be able to, to cook. I mean, the yeah, last I saw the, the statistics you had talked about in in your report, as well as the ones that are out there, are eighty percent of people living in in poverty. Eighty percent. Eighty percent. Eighty-two. We don't know exactly. Those are the, it, the figures yeah, that come where you and then and then you have people. You have thirty numbers also going up. Thirty, thirty-five percent who are living in in what they call what is called um, extreme poverty. You know, and there's this what they UN calls multi-dimensional poverty as extreme poverty. I think the idea that Lebanon has all of a sudden become what to every outsider would look like a failed state. Let's be honest. It's mm. what it's what it looks mm. like to yes. an outsider. No electricity, lineups for food, people can't afford basic necessities. How did mm -hmm. we get how did we get to a failed state so quickly? Because it feels like it happened quickly. Well, so we we got there because the the country lived um beyond its means for years and years and years you know i mean it was like importing a lot it was not exporting very much and the central bank found all, all kind of ruses to uh, to attract money to come to the country you know so that the export bill could be paid and of course in the end it was all racking up debts and debts and debts you know and and it was uh, in the end it was uh, borrowing from peter to pay to pay uh, paul right and that col that collapsed in 2019 but that collapsed and then you couldn't get your money out of the bank companies at their operational capital uh, st stuck in the bank you know they couldn't like so many companies had to close down because of that uh, people got on on, uh, on on like uh, people got furloughed yeah. without right. pay and, and all of this kind of stuff you know and so um and, so the, and then the currency started nose diving because um we are still in the situation we are consuming almost like importing almost anything almost everything that we're consuming we're not exporting enough to earn the dollars that you need to pay for these imports you know so there's a huge mismatch between the dollars that are in the local e uh, uh, economy that you need to buy all this imported uh, stuff you know and the dollars that this economy earns so there's a lot of demand on dollar there's not enough dollars you know and so the currency plunges and the salaries of people get less and less and less and less and now if you imagine you have a state that still operates in that national currency and uh, that uh, that national currency has 
has lost 90% of its value, uh, then the, bu the budgets of the, that the state has are, are worth nothing. The right. salaries that it can pay its employees are worth nothing. So these employees will not show up for work anymore. Right? These employees will start will have to start moonlighting and all of so so that's how things don't work. I'm speaking with uh, Heiko Vimin, the International Crisis Group's project director for Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon, about the current state of affairs in Lebanon, a, a dire state at this point. I feel like this is not a necessarily an issue that's been gotten much international attention. Is that the sense you have? So, so I think it it did get uh, every now and then it did get did get some international uh, attention. I mean, especially of course at the time of the the port blast, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a dramatic thing, dramatic yeah. pictures, and then you have the the French president coming here and uh, making dramatic statements uh, about what he would be ready to do and what should happen, you know. But uh, but I mean international attention can only last that long and this has gone on this crisis has been going on for two years the the local elite has shown itself uh, unwilling and, and incapable of doing what is necessary so at some point people lose patience you know i mean foreign donors look pa uh, lose patience foreign friends lose patience and international um, media also lose patience and then you have every now and then you have like this uh, you have like somebody then says like oh what happened to the paris of the middle east why is it becoming the somalia of the middle east now and, and then then you have that attention turns there again but in general i mean you only can 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 follow a crisis like that for so long and then people just everybody everybody just shrug their their shoulders or throw up their hands and say what what the hell uh, what the hell is wrong with these guys you know why can't they fix it I'm back with Heiko Wieman, the International Crisis Group's Project Director for Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. We're talking about Lebanon and a new documentary from the Crisis Group called Lebanon, A State on the Brink. You, you touch on this in, in a blog that you wrote or in a story that you wrote about being back in, in Beirut. What are the dangers mm -hmm. to the rest of the world if a Lebanon is allowed to become a failed state in that region? Well, so if you have a, a failed state, uh, then of course you have uh, spaces will open up for all kinds of uh, undesirable things and, and undesirable forces and groups, you know. So, I mean, right now, I mean, that, that's a very fresh news that a couple of, uh, of, of Lebanese uh, young guys uh, from one of those areas uh, that is uh, the most deprived and the most marginalized, which is the North, uh, was reportedly killed in Iraq because they were fighting with Daesh, with, uh, with ISIS, right? And uh, so there's uh, ISIS recruiting apparently going on in some areas. And of course, those, those young people who go there now will come back at some point. So that is one danger one has to think about. Uh, we have, uh, have 1.5 million refugees in the country uh, roughly speaking and uh, the boats that are going to, from here to, to Cyprus in particular um, to for these people trying to get to Europe uh, those numbers have been going up and they will continue to go up and um, we have the, the big problem is uh, drug smuggling now. Um, drugs are produced in, in Syria, as far for, for, for what we know, but Lebanon is used as a portal uh, for these drugs to be exported to uh, to the Gulf in particular, to the rest of the world. Um, so 
it's there are all kind of, uh, of of nasty things that can happen here, and we've seen what what can happen if you have a failed state, uh, um, like in Libya, for instance. You know, I mean, we still have the have the problem with the migration from Libya, uh, illegal migration from Libya, uh, hundreds or even maybe thousands of people drowning in the Mediterranean, and mm -hmm. uh, so these are the scenarios we're looking at. For those who don't understand or listeners who don't um, appreciate the political complexities of, of, of Lebanon, we have elections or are meant to have elections coming up uh, this year. I know that one of the leading candidates has now withdrawn, uh, or mm -hmm. at least says he won't run. Uh, just quickly, how much hope is there that these elections can and will change anything? And if not, why not? So, uh, I mean, the hope is, uh, as you say, uh, or as you insinuate, the hope is not exactly uh, very great. Um, I mean, uh, there are a lot of a lot of reasons can be uh, can be can be brought up for can be mentioned for that. I mean, so um, I mean, one reason is that uh, the, perhaps the most important one is that political mobilization in this country um, occurs. Um, largely along lines of uh, sect sectarian communities and um, and it's it's an, it's identity politics in the end so it is about parties telling their constituency which tends to be uh, of one particular religious uh, sectarian group uh, that uh, they're pursuing their interest that all the others uh, are, are after them you know are trying to uh, to, to uh, hurt their position, uh, like take away from their share in, in resources and, and political power. And that's, that's one of the big ways that uh, these parties are mobilizing. And that works. And, that, and in terms of crises, that, uh, that works um, actually better. You know, people are already sort of uh, living in, this, in, a, in a state of existential fear and, and insecurity economically uh, now mainly, but also uh, real hard security is also deteriorating. So um, those who come and, and, and promise security, protection from others, um, are, are like will, will win elections that way. Mm -hmm. And those who, who maybe uh, in two years ago when there were protests in the street um, for that, uh, uh, sorry, uh, asked for change, mm -hmm pushed for change and now trying to organize uh, to, uh, to, uh, for these elections, uh, they'll, they're facing an uphill struggle. They may get a, get a few guys and maybe a few women even into parliament, uh, but it's not going to be a huge block. And so we will most likely will be stuck with the same parties uh, still controlling the parliament after the elections. And um, government formation already before was a very difficult, uh, very complicated, required very complex negotiations and bargaining. And it's not going to get any easier after these elections, I'm afraid. Michael Vimin in Beirut, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, Ahlan was Ahlan Ben. It was a pleasure, pleasure to thank be on the program.